Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life, Season 2. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. I'm so pleased and privileged to launch Season 2 with a conversation that will absolutely change your life. If you're looking for love, which many of you are, or hoping to strengthen your marriage, or looking for support after a divorce, and perhaps seeking answers as to what went wrong... Ken Page and his book, Deeper Dating, will guide you on a profound journey of healing and discovery. Also, you may hear a bit of ambient noise in the background because love and life is actually on the road, which I'll explain in a moment. Here's a bit more about Ken. Ken Page, LCSW, is a renowned psychotherapist and a leading voice of hope and wisdom for everyone seeking to find and cultivate healthy, lasting love. He's the host of the Deeper Dating podcast and author of the bestseller, Deeper Dating, How to Drop the Games of Seduction and Discover the Power of Intimacy. He's a popular Psychology Today and Huffington Post blogger. He's been featured in O, the Oprah Magazine, the New York Times, Cosmopolitan, The Advocate, WPIX-TV News, Match.com, Christian Mingle, J-Date, and more. Paige has led hundreds of workshops on intimacy and spirituality for thousands of participants. So I have to give a little backstory to this particular interview because it is so random and crazy and also amazing. So Ken and I tried to record our interview remotely, which is how most of my authors appear on my podcast. And we had some technical difficulties earlier in the week. So we thought, okay, we'll reschedule. But my weekend was crazy because I was going out of town for a conference. And I happened to look at Ken's bio and he lives in Long Beach, New York. And that's exactly where my conference is. So I quick shot of an email and said, okay, this is so random, but I'm going to be in your town. Any chance you can squeeze me in so that we can do this in person. And he was gracious enough to meet in person, which is so much more fun anyway, to be able to see you face to face. So thank you, Ken, so much for joining me today. Oh, so amazing. So amazing. And here we are, and we're kind of looking at the beach, and this is my... Wonderful, lovely Long Beach, New York. So this is just so great to meet you kind of in my living room, in your hotel's living room now. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about your book, Deeper Dating, which I had mentioned in the last podcast as I was telling listeners kind of what was coming in season two, that your book, Deeper Dating, is now my all-time favorite dating book. Mm, Thank you. Because I usually don't like dating books because they tend to be very formulaic and I think they make promises they can't keep. 
oftentimes encouraging readers to change who they are, change their core Mm -hmm. personality. Mm -hmm. That's what you're doing Mm -hmm. wrong is you don't flirt enough or you're not sexy enough or you're not sly enough. You got to reel them in. And I resisted that personally over my many years of dating. And so when I came across your book, which is so the antithesis of all that, I was so excited. But what I also love about your book is... It's all about figuring out who you are, what you call your core gifts, and how a deep, intimate, true love will absolutely be a celebration of who you are, not trying to change who you are. And you also provide such great strategies for figuring that out because a lot of people in the field say, you got to love yourself first. And we all go, but how? Right. And your book does that for the reader. So thank oh, you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. You know, it's been such a kind of circuitous and Byzantine journey for me with so many years of loneliness mm. and so many dead ends and that terrible, bitter frustration of it's not going to happen mm-hmm. for me for years and years and years. And then trying the same things again and again and failing horribly. Failing on so many different (laughs) levels. And finally kind of saying, all right, I got to kind of start from the beginning here and start learning. And I'm going to go to wise people and I'm going to say, help me. I need to break this down before I can build it up again. You say that in the book, and there are so many portions that I highlighted. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to share with listeners because I think it matters to them that you struggled yourself. That yes, you have the degree and you are a professional, but yet you still thought, oh, here I am a psychotherapist and I'm helping people with love, but I'm still struggling myself. And you said at one point in the book that you did worry that your biggest fear was that you would never find that deep, intimate love. And I think that is so many people's deepest fear. Oh yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was going to really happen to me. And and it's very true. It's very true. I mean, I considered myself chronically single. Mm -hmm. I was chronically single for decades. And I even started a support group for chronically single shrinks like me. And and we really helped each other. We got to use our skills and really guide each other past a lot of difficult stuck points. And that is the heart and soul of this, is that we need help getting past our stuck points. They're deep, they're profound, they're meaningful, and some slick maneuver is not going to get you past them. Wisdom is going to get you past them. So this is a wisdom journey. And at every one of those crossroads where there's pain, where there's struggling, where there's that same damn wall again, those are junctures where we need to find our wisdom. And when we do some kind of door opens up. And that door not only changes our dating life, but it changes our life as a whole. Because as I always say, in my podcast, the skills of dating are nothing more than the skills of love. And the skills of love are the greatest skills of all for happy, meaningful life. So true. And what I love about what you're sharing is that skills... That sounds doable, right? Because if we sometimes think, I got to do an complete overhaul, I got to dig so deep to stuff that's so repressed, but don't overwhelm yourself in this process. That's Start- such a good point. Yeah. That's such a good point. You do not have to figure out all your fear of intimacy, fear of abandonment, fear of rejection issues before you can find love. You will heal those on the way when you approach this as a path of self-love and with some just 
basic, basic concepts that change everything. Like, for example, the core and the heart of what I teach is that the first step, the foundation step, is that the parts of us that we're embarrassed by, ashamed by, feel awkward about, we feel like they make us too different. The parts of us where we're too sensitive or too passionate or too vulnerable or feel too much are the parts that we think have gotten us into trouble. And they're the parts we have to kind of tame and domesticate and airbrush. But those parts are our genius. And genius domesticated is genius lost. So the first step is embracing the parts of ourselves that are authentically us. And we don't need to fix ourselves first before we do that. That's so empowering. And that's what I felt. And I know you've said from your retreats or your workshops that you do with deeper dating that people do leave feeling empowered. And I can say from being single all those years and reading other self-help books, I felt disempowered. I felt like you're telling me I'm doing everything wrong. I feel that I'm fundamentally flawed now. Thank you so much. I feel yes. worse. <laughs> right. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm now supposed to get out there and act like right. I feel better. Right. I mean, yay, self-help section. <laughs> yes, let me get irresistible because that's really the goal. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and the other thing is the idea, and again, your book does nothing like this, but the other thing that I resisted was the idea, so as a woman looking for a man, this is what men want. There are many men out there. Absolutely. <laughs> and they don't all want the same thing. That is so true. And I am a horrible fit for most men. And you say this in the book, the 90% rule. Speak to that a bit. Oh, yeah. But it's really the 99% rule. And I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. like that 99% of the people that you meet won't be right for you. And that's okay. Here's what you want to do. This is big. This is deep. This is a tool that will change your world. It's simple. And it will change your world. And it will make you honor yourself. And here it is. Let there be one leading question in your search for love. And this is an example of a tool that not only will lead you to love, but will heal you and heal your life in the process. Here's what it is. Your number one question should become, does my soul feel safe with this person? Yeah, you got to be attracted to the person and a lot of different things have to fit. But when you walk in there asking yourself, when you date, asking that question of yourself, your world will change, your future will change, and you'll meet someone who not only is sexy and hot and attractive, but someone with whom you can build happiness. And I just have to say something because I walked into this hotel and I met your husband And I could tell instantly what a good human being he is, (laughs) instantly. And then felt the same thing from you, and then felt the same thing between the two of you. And I said, yeah, this is how it happens. It's based on goodness. And that's what we're not taught. Mm. And that's everything. Yeah, that's everything. everything. And. And you can get all of that. You can get all of that and sexual attraction too. You can and you must because you can't be with someone who's just good for you if you're not attractive. However, we have two different circuitries of attraction. I mean, obviously we have a spectrum of attractions, but if you break it down, 
Like there are two basic kind of circuitries of attraction. One is we could be wildly turned on by people who are not really available, not really kind, kind of like a slot machine. Sometimes you get the goods and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't. And that's a turn on. I call that attractions of deprivation. Mm-hmm. It's where the turn on comes from the hope that you're going to get this person to finally love you, to finally, and then that will fix all of these kind of very, very old wounds of not being loved. And let me tell you, these attractions of deprivation feel like love, and they grab you where you live, and they drag you onto a roller coaster, and all the while, they feel like love, but there's something other than love. They are not healthy love. Then, there's an entire other circuitry, and this is something I didn't know, and when I discovered it in my own life, it began to change everything, and that is the circuitry of attractions of inspiration. That's where your soul feels safe with someone. That's where you feel inspired by this person's laugh, by their goodness, by their intelligence, by their decency, by their consistency, by the way that they curate their life and their friendships and their relationship and their relationship with their family. And when you find someone who's attractive and you are turned on by their goodness... And you're all then then your physical and sexual and romantic turn on will grow too, and it'll grow in a healthy way. And when you have that combination of goodness, safety, and sex, that's paradise. Yeah. <laughs> that's the total package. That's the package, and it's available, but it's not available if you put turn on first. You need to put inspiration first. Then, of course, all the other things need to be a part of it, but you start by making a commitment to yourself. And in my intensives, and I I lead intensives that are six months long for people that want to do this really deep journey, very small numbers of people, and I guide them in it together. And at a certain point, we stop and people are ready to make a kind of existential pact with themselves. And that pact is no more attractions of deprivation. I'm done. I'm finished. No matter how sexy they are, (laughs) no more. Only attractions of inspiration. And when we make that choice, that's the core wisdom here. And that's the core happiness. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to address this because I I actually have used some of your writing from Deeper Dating in a post on Instagram recently about trying to give the nice guy a chance Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff where you talk about in the book that this attraction can grow. Because again, I want to reiterate, we are not trying to say that you should settle for someone who you see as a pal and you have absolutely no chemistry with. Absolutely not. That's not an option. Right. At all. The bad option. It's a horrible, right. I mean, that's that's a recipe for an affair because you can phone it in for a couple of years and have this nice little family so it looks, it appears to be, yeah. and then you're going to get turned on by somebody who really does it for you. And so that's not what we're saying here. But we are saying that attraction can grow. And people resist that sometimes. They say, if I'm not turned on right away, oh, you forget know it. it. Yeah, yeah. So true. I mean, I lived that for years. I just thought, uh, I, you know, especially being a guy, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. because guys kind of need that instant attraction. I do think often more than women. And being a gay guy who grew up in the New York City kind of club and sex culture, 
to me, it was a big leap to think that I could actually have both. But this decision to look for goodness does something different. Well, that decision, there's a few decisions. The first one is to be able to name your core gifts. And your core gifts are the part of you that are the heart and soul of who you are. They're the places you feel the most deeply. Hence, they're the places you've protected the most. But they are your treasures, and they are the key to love. So the first step that I teach in my book, in my courses, in my intensives, is always to be able to discover your core gifts. And when you do that, finally you will be leading with the part of you that's magic. And when you lead with the part of you that's magic, that's when your world changes. So when that happens, your sexual and romantic attractions actually begin to change. Because here's the formula. It's this deep existential formula. I call it like the deeper physics of dating. And here's what it is. The degree to which you do not cherish those core gifts is the degree to which you're going to be sexually and romantically attracted to people who are bad for you. And the degree to which you cherish those authentic parts of you is the degree to which over time, because our attraction understanding can change, over time you will become sexually and romantically attracted finally (laughs) to people who are available and good for you. And that's a miracle. That's a kind of miracle. It really is. To really have the Zaza Zoo, I like to call it, from Sex and the City, that Zaza Zoo for the good guy. The guy who's good, a good person, and good for you and good to you. And they're out there. They are. They are. They are. So specifically, I had a, um, a follower DM me just this week and I thought, oh, this is perfect. So I'm going to talk to Ken about this. And she said the question and, and in something that you speak to that you struggled with as well. Why is it that I'm always chasing after the guy who does not give me the time of day and all these nice guys who I find boring mm-hmm. are always begging me to go out with them? What would you say? So, so from what we're, we've been talking about, we would say this woman is not in touch with her core gifts. And what would you say then? Very tangible first step toward trying to identify those Because then maybe some of these guys that she finds boring, she might see differently. Yeah, yeah. This is a great question. I love this question and I love your like framing it down to what's the first step. Yeah. So this is also a very kind of deep thing here. And and we can hit this at the deepest level, but we're not going to stay there because that's not going to be a first step. But I I do want to (laughs) say... Yeah, give us a backstory though, yeah. (laughs) Right, yeah, yeah. The backstory is this. Arthur Aaron, who's one of the most brilliant researchers on love and attraction and intimacy, uh, in, in a conversation that I had with him for as I was writing my book, Deeper Dating, said to me, the degree to which you don't love who you are is the degree to which you're not going to be turned on to people who love who you are. And that makes a lot of sense. So, but that's a deep thing, right? right? right. Like, so then what do you do? Like, that's a big, big job to learn to love yourself. And yes, there's a deeper journey and uh, I'll come back down, down, down the road just a little bit in a few minutes and tell folks kind of the two key ways that they can discover their own core gifts right now at this point in their lives. But, I'm going to step back for a minute and go to the first step thing. And that is this. 
I, w- I would say to this woman that what she's experiencing is something that I call the wave of distancing. And I think it's the greatest saboteur of healthy new love that exists on the planet. Mm. And it is exactly what kept me single for decades, for decades. And here's what it is. You meet someone who's nice and kind and decent and available, and you're bored to tears. Or let's say even they seem attractive at first, but then you see... They're like available Saturday. They're like really available Saturday. (laughs) And they're available like actually in the afternoon. And uh, they'd like to hang out with you. And they're available the next Saturday too. You find out the next Saturday. And you begin to realize this person likes me and is available. And you feel kind of sick inside. Or you feel bored. Or you feel, I got to go back to the thrill of the hunt. I miss that edge of like getting someone who's almost available. Or you experience things like, oh, God, I never noticed that his ears are, like, ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Or I never noticed how annoying his laugh is. All of these things come up that are fear camouflaging itself to get you the hell out. And why? Because there is nothing scarier than an available person. Because an asshole, as much as they can break your heart, There's a certain kind of betrayal that they'll never be able to do because you never trusted them anyway, no matter how much they hurt you. Someone you truly, truly trust, that you let your soul rest in their hands and you feel like they'll hold me if they let you go. That's just profound. That's really, really bad and really hard. So we protect ourselves. So what I would say to this woman is this. Were you, were you kind of attracted to any of these guys at first? And um, are any of these guys generally physically attractive to you? And did you get less attracted as they became more available, more decent, and less kind of edgy mm-hmm. and scary and risky for you? If that's the case, you're experiencing the wave. And here's what you do. And God nobody told me this. Maybe if they told me, I wouldn't have listened because it's kind of a hard medicine. You got to swallow a little bit of a a pill here, but it's a pill that you got to swallow. And here's what it is. You don't flee. Mm. But the other part of it is you don't suffocate yourself. You don't pressure yourself. Mm -hmm. You give yourself space. Let's say this person wants to have a date where you're going to go where, where let's say this person says, let me cook you dinner. And you feel like, oh, no, 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 no. But maybe you'd be willing to go to the movies with this person Mm -hmm. and hold hands. That's not going to freak you out. Mm -hmm. Or maybe this person has a dog and and you love to see them with their dog. And so you go to the park with the dog. You do not do more than you're ready to do. You take space, but you don't flee. And the minute there's oxygen, the minute there's space, the minute you don't flee... And you give it time, something amazing will happen. Your feelings of interest will actually come back. And when they come back, you'll have a clearer sense of if this person is right for you or not. Mm-hmm. And they, the, the wave may hit again and again. The wave hit me with my husband. I met him. He was so beautiful. He was so handsome. He was so good. He was so distant. And I wrote in my journal, thank you. God, I'm not, I'm not experiencing the wave. Maybe I was wrong the whole time. Maybe the issue was not my fear of intimacy. It was that I didn't find the right person because there's no wave. So mm-hmm. I was so happy 
maybe for like a month. Mm -hmm. And then the wave hit and all the love disappeared. All the attraction disappeared. It just evaporated. And I thought, oh, no, I am so screwed. And he is so screwed. How am I going to weasel out of this one quick because there's nothing left. There are no feelings left. And this was so devastating to me because I really liked this guy. But it was the wave. And I had learned the skills of handling the wave, even though I wish I wouldn't have had to experience that with him, but I did. Mm -hmm. And I stayed close. I stayed connected. I stayed honest. I didn't pressure myself. I enjoyed the things that I enjoyed about him, and all the feelings came back. Mm. And this happened for two years. Two damn years. (laughs) On and off. On and off. Of course I love this person so much. I want to marry him. My feelings are gone. They're gone. And, and, and I rode that wave because I had it bad because of my fears of intimacy, my self-esteem issues. And then it went away. It went away, but it took a long time. So what I would say to this woman is, you're being hit by the wave almost definitely. Don't worry about it. You don't have to fix all your deep inner issues. Just don't flee and give yourself space. Let the wind pass between you. Let there be air. Let there be enjoyment. And watch. Your feelings will come back. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then it's not the right person. Absolutely. And that's they okay. Were th- and that's more than okay. But if they were there, they almost definitely will come back. If they were never there. And that's a really important thing. Like, if you picture an attraction spectrum of zero to ten. Yeah. And ten are the people that, like, just make you feel, like, sick with desire. Like, just, just weak and dizzy and... Uh, and, and people who are a zero, there's just no attraction at all. Well, couples theory teaches us that the people who are the nines and the tens are that exciting because they embody the worst characteristics of your primary caregivers. This is not conscious. It's unconscious. And your ego knows that they can hurt you in a way that was similar to the way that you were hurt in your earlier years or not seen or not understood. And your ego wants to go back to the scene of the crime to finally be loved right. right. Fix it now in adulthood, what we couldn't fix or or control in childhood, that recapitulation of family of origin issues. Exactly, exactly. And when it happens unconsciously, we just feel like that person's our savior. And um, so, so what I say to people, absolutely date people you're really attracted to, but don't, well, you don't want to date necessarily the zero people just because they're safe. You want to date someone that there's some spark with or some potential mm-hmm. for growing a spark with. But don't only look at the nines and the tens. Don't think you're selling yourself short if you look at the fives mm-hmm. and the fours and the sixes and the sevens. Why? Because attraction can grow. Mm-hmm. Well, then what's interesting is really, I mean, a zero is going to be probably, you're not going to be able to conjure up any kind of sexual chemistry with that person. It's just not. I mean, it could be pheromones. Who knows? I mean, we probably don't even know all the biological and physiological forces at work as well. But um, but those people in that middle ground, what's funny is, I mean, and and this, I do think there's some pheromone research on this. You know, if you walk me into a room with 10 men, I mean, I might think so and so and so and so are nines and tens, and someone else would come in and go, "Uh, that's a two or three. So it's in that middle ground, unless you're talking about an Adonis who is objectively just 
a, a picture-perfect specimen, there's wiggle room for all of us, and we are attracted, and people turn us on to someone else and be like, no, 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 that guy does it for me. You know, so... Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's true. It's like a broader game than we're ever yeah, taught. Yeah, and that's, to me, that's comforting. Oh, yeah, like the, there kind of really is somebody for everybody. Yeah. I know somebody who is... Um, uh, you know, extremely overweight, morbidly obese. And um, he was so shy about dating until he realized that there were people that were attracted to big guys. And he is in a deep, loving, wonderful relationship now because that's what makes the world go around. But the other thing is that our attractions can shift and our attractions can grow. They really, really can. So, And that's the problem with online dating. When you're doing online dating, you're just looking for the people that you're pretty much 100% sure you're attracted to Mm -hmm. them in many cases. And yeah, those are your types. But if there's someone with whom there's chemistry, this person has a sexy laugh or a great body or this quality of strength or solidity or creativity or capacity or whatever, and you meet them at a party and you talk to them, the yeah. turn-on emerges. So, folks, we have to give ourselves more space in the beginning. Mm-hmm. What we want to do is we want to stretch out in terms of our distance requirements, our height requirements, our age requirements, not too much, but, you know, to the degree that you possibly can. And we need to tighten up with our char- with our requirements when it comes to character. Oh, indeed. That is... I, and you're right. It's so much of that especially now with the the apps, because it's a millisecond and then it's a swipe. That's right. And that is going to make you choose someone not at all based on does my soul feel safe with it. Right. You're going to probably default to those nines and tens. That's right. Because those are the ones that for whatever reason, that, that picture just drew you in right away. That's right. And sadly, that could be the nines and tens could be the ones that are going to be the worst for you. Right, Ugh. right, absolutely. <laughs> it's so true. And and those apps and also a lot of online behavior sculpts jerky behavior. So this is another thing I want to say to everybody. We're, we're sculpted to behave slightly like jerks when we <laughs> date in the online world because it's built that yeah. way. And what I want to say is don't do that. Be decent, listen, be kind and be available. That is not going to make you an idiot. That's not going to make you a doormat. And I'll tell you exactly why. Because you're going to be discriminating. You're going to look for someone who, like you, practices those same values. And even though the 99% rule is true, think of it this way. You go into a bookstore and you don't know what you want at all but you just want, like, an interesting book. Well, you could be there for three hours, but if you go into the bookstore and you know the author and the title, you will be in and out. So when you make this decision, you will find that 1% so much quicker. That is so true. <laughs> and, and you're right. And I love that you're saying that as you're in that process, you're going to be able to detect the people who are also genuine That's right. and kind That's right. yes. and aren't just swipe, 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 and feel it. Because I know a lot of daters feel they're very disposable now. Because oh, say great word. we go out yeah. on a date and the guy finds me kind of cute, kind of right. nice, kind of right. smart. And he's like, I can probably go home and I'll have on my phone in 10 minutes, I'll have 100 more options who might be cuter and smarter and funnier and nicer. I mean, everyone feels that it's just this urgency 
to show who they are. And then I think they're posturing oftentimes and not really presenting who they truly are because, of course, that's very vulnerable and hard to do over a 10-minute drink date. It, it's, it is hard. I think it's harder out there. <laughs> <laughs> that was just so much that you just said. And I just want to take a minute because there were two pieces that just I just felt were so important to highlight. And the first one is that that, that kind of, you know that you can find someone cuter. You know that you can find someone closer. You know that you can find someone whatever Right. And that is really, it's seductive in a really bad way. And then the other thing is that you think you need to just show the sexy parts of yourself instead of being who you are. And actually, there's something I want to say about that. For everybody who wrestles with serious fear of rejection, there's a way that you can break the spine of your fear of rejection. There's something you can do that can actually diminish it profoundly, and that's this. It's to shift your intention. And your intention, and when I work with people and they're willing to do this deeper work and take this journey, their intention shifts. It goes from, I'm going to find someone who I'm interested in who's not going to reject me, to my goal is to be who I am. Mm. That's my goal on this date, on this first date, on this second date. And to f- look for the same thing in my partner. And if this person loves what they see, and I love what they see, I see that's all I want. Otherwise, if it doesn't work, if they're not interested in me, I've done my goal. And my goal is to just be me and look for the person who resonates with that because otherwise I will waste vast amounts of time. Oh, as anyone who was on the scene for many years like me can attest to. And I love that because it's not about rejection, but we we frame it that way. And I heard it put this way, rejection is God's protection. I love that. I love that. Yes, yes, yes. Because absolutely, we say rejection and it's so pejorative, but it's not. It just is not a fit and it shouldn't be pejorative. It should just be, wow, it's a good thing we realized that before, as you said, we wasted any more time. Absolutely. And the longer you wait with an attraction of deprivation, the more painful that exit is finally going to be. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. If you drink black coffee or hot tea, I know you've burned your tongue hundreds of times, or you've had to wait 20 minutes for your coffee to cool down, which by that time, your donut or muffin is long gone, and you've missed the joy of pairing that sweet breakfast item with your bitter black coffee. If it sounds like I'm speaking from personal experience, I am. But I've got good news for us. Drink Perfection takes beverages from scalding hot to the perfect temperature, where you can actually appreciate the flavor notes, by the way, in just 20 seconds without watering them down. Learn more at drinkperfection.com. And be sure to check out The Perfector's other application, taking red wine from room temp to wine cellar temperature again in just 20 seconds. Find out more at drinkperfection.com. So for the core gifts, let's get back to these because I think this is something that, you know, when I think about takeaways for listeners, I would love them to have a couple 
tangibles for, because you're saying that core gifts, oftentimes we're trying to stuff them because we're, there's such sensitive points that we often feel vulnerable and even maybe embarrassed or ashamed at times. And so how do we unearth something that we've been spending so much energy trying to cast aside or not reveal or not be present when we're in context with people. So the, the concept of core gift is, is it, it the heart and the soul of this work. And I'm going to give you an image to help you kind of picture what your core gifts are. So here's the image. Picture a target, like a kind of target with a bullseye in the center and all of these concentric rings going outward. That's a kind of map of your being. And just imagine simply that the closer you get toward the center of that target is the closer you're getting to the deepest authenticity of who you are, to the innermost petals of your being. These are the places where you are the most moved by life, the most touched, the most sensitive, the most fierce, the most passionate. They're the most truly you parts. And they are both vulnerable, they're, they're existentially vulnerable, and they're existentially powerful at the same time. And all of us have been hurt and embarrassed and treated badly and misunderstood around those parts because they are genius. And genius is not an easy thing. So what I've discovered, and I discovered this in my practice with clients, because again and again, I would see that the parts of themselves that they felt the most embarrassed by or the most kind of timid to touch were the parts that I thought were the most beautiful parts of them. They were the parts that I thought, go, go, go with that part of you. Mm -hmm. And I began to realize with myself, too, that those are the parts I was the most embarrassed by, the parts I was the most protective of. And when you are that way, you end up getting attracted to people who are bad for you, who step on your gifts the way you have stepped on Mm. your gifts. Because to suppress your gifts is actually, it's not just suppression, it's an act of quiet violence against your very spirit. And violence attracts violence. Mm. So we always end up in masochistic situations until we learn what these parts of ourselves are and learn how to live from them and treasure them and most of all, dignify them. And that's the deep journey. And, and, and I can't make that too quick and easy because it's profound in my in my mm-hmm. intensives we spend the first two months helping people really learn those parts of themselves but i can pull back and offer a few tools for all of the readers that can really for all of the listeners excuse me that can really help you get there so the first thing i'm going to say is there are two questions that you can ask yourself again and again and again and these questions are nuclear And here are the questions. What touches my heart the most as I walk down the street, as I interact with people in my day-to-day life? What kind of quickens my heart? What touches me and moves me the most? Those are not just things. They're portals to your core gifts. And the other question is this. What 
things hurt me the most? When I walk down the street, when I interact with people, what are the things that hurt my heart? What are the things that feel like paper cuts to my spirit? What are the things that feel like blows to my beings, what, to my being? What are the things that hurt me? Even if I think they're silly, even if I think they're over, I'm being oversensitive. And those, if you put, if you do this for two days, ask yourself this question, and then you think, okay, so what are the things that again and again inspire me? It's like a connect the dots puzzle where you put the dots together and you come up with a picture. That's a picture of your core gifts. The same about the things that hurt you because the things that hurt you the most are where your soul lives. They are where your compassion lives. They are where your heart for the world and for yourself lives. So those are the parts that need to be honored. And when you honor them, you discover your core gifts. And I know that's pretty general, so I want to give something a little bit more specific. And that is, in the first two chapters of my book, Deeper Dating, which if you, if you sign up for my mailing list by going to deeperdatingpodcast.com, you'll get the first two chapters of the book. And in those chapters are pages and pages that end up in two exercises. One to discover your core gifts through your tears and one to discover your core gifts through your joys. So for those of you that want to do the deeper, richer work of that, you can buy the book, you can get the first chapters, you could take one of my courses, but it is a deep and rich process of transformation that will shift your whole life, your dating life, and your romantic life. I love that. I remember in the book too, and I, it really struck me, you were talking about one of your clients who was a dental hygienist. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you described that when she was working on her client's teeth, that she would be moved almost to tears because she loved to, to her, her compassion, her nurturing, yeah. her tenderness was being demonstrated through cleaning their teeth. Which I was so struck by that because I don't think that would be a good fit for me because I would get a little like, oh, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to mess with your Last teeth. Place I would be. <laughs> but so what I loved about that is how different we all are. Oh, God, We're yes. wired so differently. Yeah. And then we can love and nurture each other, each from our own unique abilities, the way, and then authentically, because do I want the dental hygienist who's moved almost to yeah. tears because she loves my mouth so much? Yes, I do. Right, <laughs> and, right, I, right. That, and that's a gift that she offers that's right. everyone that's who's in right. her chair. That's right. That's yeah. right. And is yeah. there any more on her that you want to share? I, I, just, I just remember that story. Yeah, but I just want to say that what you just captured is that thing of there's someone for everyone. Yeah. You know, because that was her, that yeah. was the place where she was so touched. And, and her clients love that. And so for all of you, those qualities of the things that touch you the most, that move you the most, that hurt you the most, are the most beautiful and sacred parts of you. And the bottom line is, until you make this deep down decision to dignify and love them, you will be turned against yourself. Mm -hmm. And the more you dignify them and love them and say, I'm only going to choose people who love them too the more your world really does begin to change. So, but the one thing I want to say also about this, this woman is that this happened in therapy as she was doing this kind of work. And she, she, always, she had been a dental hygienist for decades. But it was so odd that she never really put words on it. She had to stop and think, 
what are the things that move me? And then she realized that she felt this. So what I want to say to each one of you is there are things that touch you that deeply, and they're sacred, they're important, they're precious, and they are a key to your future. So look for the things that move you like that. No matter how odd or quirky or strange they are, they are your gifts. And it's just about that permission to be authentically you which is what we're all supposed to be about, but we spend so many years stifling and covering up and trying to be who the beauty magazine says I'm supposed to look like and be like, and as we talked about earlier, who the books tell me or how to flirt and how to be. And that's what I love about your approach is it's really this self-discovery, but again, with the exercises that you have and the micro-meditations, you really provide these tools for people to go on this beautiful journey of self-discovery, which is only going to open up, and not even for romantic love, it's going to open up their friendship connections, it's going to make everything in their life so much more genuine and, and safe, because like you talked about, I was thinking when you were talking about these these parts of ourselves that are core gifts that we that we are not appreciating, and even like you said, violations against ourselves. We're attracted to those people because if I believe that I am so flawed in this area, I'm going to confirm that belief by finding someone else who's going to also diminish and dismiss that gift of mine. That's right. And if he sees all those flaws and I can get him to love me, right. then I have saved my life. Right. But that's the path to hell. Right. Because it won't happen. That's because he right. never will. That's right. <laughs> Not that's right. Right. And you talk about in the book the zones, which is kind of connected to what we're talking about here. But I think it really I really resonated with the idea of the zone three, zone two, zone one. Yeah. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So so if you kind of start from the outside of this, of this, we go back to the target. And here are the different zones we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the outside zone, like the farthest out, which is where you're the furthest away from the warmth and the heat of your authentic self. That's the zone of disconnection. The further you get out, the more it's like you're on Pluto. The more the world is cold, the more the world is empty. It's, and, and that can become a, a desperately painful place. The closer you move in the next zone, and these are kind of very broad, big zones, they could be divided up even more. But then the next one is the zone of protection. That's where you're not as deeply disconnected or isolated, but you're defending, you're protecting yourself. You're showing an airbrushed version of yourself. And then at the very essence at the very bullseye is the source of self, the most authentic true you, which I think is your deepest spiritual place. But outside that, in the inner circle, not that bullseye point, 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 but the circle around it, I call that your gift zone. And that's when you are close enough to the beating heart of your humanity that you're going to be very beautiful to the right person. Mm. You will shine. Your humanity will shine. Your magic will shine. And we want to spend as much time as we can living in our gift zone. We don't have to be right in the center of the center because we can't. Because it's so fierce and it is so nuclear and it is so alive that we don't have the tools to be Mm. able to do that. We gradually, homeopathically, have to learn to bear the heat and the humanity that lies in our core. But If we're close enough that we're being warmed by it, if we're just close enough, we're in touch with our magic. And when we're in touch with our magic, 
magic things happen. And they happen in any realm where we're living in our gift zone, including the realm of dating. Hmm. When I was reading that, when I was engaged to the wrong man, I spent about a year in zone three, Mm. an entire year, because I had to dissociate because I was, I was 33 when we got engaged and it was because that's when, you know, 33 clock is ticking. Right. Everyone else is married and has a kid or two. I'm, I'm lagging behind in this whole race of life. And, And I just, I completely fell prey to all those messages And then, because it was so out of step with my authenticity... Now, he was one that I would say when I met him, he was not at all... He was not my type, so to speak. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Which, as we were talking about, doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right, And I did give him a chance, which, again, I think that was the right decision. What wasn't the right decision was once it became Mm. clear it wasn't a fit for me, I then kept pushing myself because... Well, it's time. And because all the shoulds, yeah. And all the shoulds. And then because if you keep if you keep stepping to the tune of the shoulds and your authentic self is saying this is not right for me, you have to shut that down. Right. So I literally shut it down for like I said about a year and just lived in this almost dissociated state. And Thank God you were brave enough to do what <laughs> you, you did. That's really brave. You know, looking back, I, I feel brave, but at the time, I uh, felt like a train wreck. <laughs> Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen, that's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me. And of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. So we've spoken about attractions of inspiration and attractions of deprivation. And you've also mentioned in the book that attractions reveal our core gifts. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about that, and I know we've kind of touched on inspiration versus deprivation, but again, if someone now is listening and going, okay, so the next guy I'm attracted to, how do I know if that's an attraction of deprivation or inspiration? Can I figure that out in the in a couple minutes, or is that something I'm not going to figure out unless I go on a couple dates? Yeah, you know, sometimes you figure it out in a couple of minutes. You do. You're on a date, and the person is nasty to the weight person, mm-hmm. and then looks at you with a big smile. <laughs> time to go. Um, (laughs) You know, and sometimes, of course, it takes a longer time. But by continually asking that question, does my soul feel safe Mm -hmm. with this person? And then in time, you see, is this person someone who's going to be honest when it's hard? Mm -hmm. Are they going to be kind when it's hard? And then these are kind of the living proofs of if someone really, really walks their talk. And that is something you need to find out only in time. But a tool that you can use is to kind of paint a portrait of your unhealthy relationships. And there are exercises in the book and that I do also in my courses where it's kind of sitting down with like a forensic artist and you describe the nose and you describe the ears and they put together a portrait mm-hmm. and then you know, watch out for that person. <laughs> and um, 
When you go back and think of the people who have hurt you, the qualities that have disappointed you and hurt you, there are going to be repetitive patterns. When you see those patterns, those are marks of your particular brand of attractions of deprivation. And so then you begin to know. And, you know, but that's a very, very deep, deep, what, what's really deep in that, that, that you know, we won't even have time to go into now. And even in my book, I can only barely touch on it, is that the shape of your attractions reveals the contour of your inner being. So those things, I, I guess in simple form, you could say that the negative qualities that you choose in people and have been attracted to again and again reflect a particular part of yourself, a mm -hmm. particular core gift that you have not yet learned to love. Mm. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is a new black, don't wear white till it's right is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N.me. So here's the challenge. <laughs> the challenge is it is so deep that we're trying to communicate this in an hour podcast. And I really can't recommend your book more strongly. I so appreciate that. And I really hope that people will take the time to read it. But as you're saying, even the book itself, and you do have this great recommendation that people walk through this journey with a partner. Oh, yes. And that will help deepen the experience because you have that sounding board and that person to process because it's, it's meaty material. But I can tell you from reading it, it will change everything. And so... In this hour that we spent together, I hope that you found some tools, some something to spark your curiosity enough to go, wait, what more do I need to learn? Mm, yes. Because when I learn that about myself, it will change naturally. And that's the beautiful thing. We're saying it's not that you have to force yourself to like the nice guy. Oh, uh, ho-hum. No, no. When you get healthier, that nice guy, because he is a good, decent person, is all of a sudden going to be more attractive to you. Exactly. And nor do you have to go into years of therapy. Yes. By just practicing <laughs> these wiser, healthier techniques, you will be therapizing yourself. And I'm a psychotherapist. I believe in psychotherapy right, yeah. for everyone who needs it. But I'm just saying that, that there are simple wisdom paths that heal you as you go. And and that's kind of what I try to teach people. And, and, and not only that, but lead you to love a lot quicker. Because this should be, believe it or not, your dating journey should be one of the greatest adventures of healing of your entire life. Because God knows, and the research backs this up, your search for love is unequivocally one of the most important missions of your life. So true.
So true, and I love that. And instead of seeing it as this big problem to be solved, just a journey to experience. Oh, yeah. And to enjoy to the degree that we can. I'm not trying to say that all the heartache isn't painful because I've been there, felt that, but to try to enjoy the process of self-discovery and enjoy the deeper connections that you have with all your relationships Absolutely. And I would say that this one process of saying, does my soul feel safe with this person, will excise about 70% of your future pain in your dating and romantic life. That that. one question. I love that. Ken, I want to thank you so much for your time this evening. This has been an absolute treat. And I'm, I'm so thrilled because I know my listeners are going to benefit so greatly from your time and your wisdom. So obviously the book Deeper Dating, they can go to your website, you're saying, and then they can get a couple chapters to give them a taste of what the book offers. And then also you do some intensives you mentioned. Yes, yes. And and actually we'll have one coming up in the next few months. These are six months journeys for only 10 people. And it's only for people that have done a lot of deep work on themselves already. A lot of the people are coaches and psychotherapists, but not all are. But it's a community of people that want to kind of summit this mountain together and want to help each other and support each other and dedicate six months to both this deep and rich journey and to finding healthy love. So it's a very, very powerful process that involves one-on-one sessions with me and uh, group meetings of coaching and training together, doing the deepest journey and kind of climbing this mountain together. It's a process I really enjoy and treasure. And uh, and also you can go to uh, deeperdatingpodcast.com and hear a whole bunch of episodes that kind of in- articulate a lot of the things we've been talking about in a lot greater detail. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing all that. And you're on the social media channels, I'd imagine. Is it all Deeper Dating? That's how it's Deeper find Dating you. on Instagram uh-huh. and it's Ken Page LCSW on Twitter and on Facebook. Okay, great. Well, thanks again so much, Ken. I have to tell you, it has been a joy and I'm sitting here and watching the sunset behind you and uh, you are just, you and your husband are both just delightful and and this was just a a real treat. Thank you so much. Thank you. The love and life hack for this week is go deep and discover those core gifts. Appreciate them cherish them and lead with them. Thank you so much for joining me as we kick off season two. Also a big thank you to all of you who subscribe to the podcast, rate and review episodes. It really helps us out and I'm so very grateful for it. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. This is Dr. Karen Anderson Abril and until next time, Make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.